Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Always happy to have a return engagement. And this is a return engagement with some good news and some exciting developments on the social emotional learning front. We're going to get to all that through the course of our conversation. But to begin, I'd like to welcome David Adams back to the show. David, welcome back to Trending in Education. Michael, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to come back and talk a little bit about the Urban Assembly. Sure. And you've been making moves. We're hearing from you, and I don't mean a postcard. You've been doing some interesting stuff out there. I saw a Wall Street Journal article about you where you were named the CEO of the Urban Assembly. So last time when we talked, you were the director of strategic initiatives. And prior to that, you were doing a lot of work on the social emotional learning program, the SEL program where you have a, a deep history. It's a great show. We'll share that out as part of the show notes and, and when we promote the show. But first off, if folks don't know you or they don't know the Urban Assembly, can you give them a, a short version of who you are and what the UA is? Sure enough. So I am David Adams. I am the Chief Executive Officer of the Urban Assembly. We are an organization that is dedicated to the social and economic mobility of young people by improving public education. Um, we improve public education by ensuring that there is innovation within these public education systems. So that means we've innovated around social and emotional development. We've innovated around college and career pathways. We've innovated with instructional approaches. Uh, I like to say that our schools regularly take in students reading on a second grade level and graduate them uh, proficient. So we are an organization that cares a lot more about our, who our students are when they leave our schools than who they are when they come into our schools, which means we take all of our students. We don't screen. We don't differentiate for who comes into our schools. We know that the quality of our schools is what's important. And that's how we want to spread our message in terms of improving education. Yeah, it's a real great mission. And I've been happy to do a handful of shows now with a cross section of folks from the Urban Assembly, which is also a nice indicator of the depth and mission alignment that you have throughout the organization that we've talked to quite a few different folks, and they're all uh, very passionate about the social mobility, career alignment, social emotional learning, a lot of the things you were talking about. One of the things that got some news recently is the issue of screening, which you just touched on, and, and how that might relate to the challenges that folks may face getting past some of these screening hurdles. You talked about not necessarily the proficiency, but really more the growth that leads to proficiency as being right. more what you're about. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. So here at the Urban Assembly, we put our faith in high impact schools. What I mean by that is schools whose organization, whose teaching and learning, whose learning environment impacts students' learning, impacts students' outcomes, impacts students' achievement. So that means our focus is on individualizing supports for students, making sure every student is known that they have an instructional system that is responsive to their strengths and needs, that they're developed not only in their intelligence, but also in their social and emotional competencies, mm -hmm. and that they leave our schools college, career, and community ready, right? We want to put our faith not in who we screen out, but who we let in. Yeah. Uh, we want to think about not gerrymandering our students, but providing a public education for all. Yeah. And we think that if we can show that example, we can start to create incentives to improve public education writ large. When you talk to the mayoral candidates in New York City, they're all talking about, we need more screening. We need more gifted and talented programs. And those programs aren't solving any problems with public education. 
Yeah. And maybe solving problems for maybe individual uh, children here and there with regards to wanting to be in community with other high achieving kids, right. uh, but not solving any problems for the, the education system writ large. And if we want to improve, we got to figure out how we invest in the types of structures that actually grow our students' abilities. So uh, if you look at the numbers at the Urban Assembly, you see the growth rates, you see where students are coming in and incoming mm -hmm. proficiency, students, where students are leaving and incoming proficiencies. You see some of our schools, our special education percentage is 42, 43%, still in good standing, mm -hmm. right? still achieving. Yeah. So if you can solve that problem, we can improve public education. And if we can improve public education, we can ensure that the citizens in New York City get the type of education they deserve not just one that caters to less than 1% of the population. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I have a lot of conversations about the benefits of diversity in a workplace, as an example, and, and even the concept of neurodiversity where you wanna have people with different cognitive frameworks and different experiences because in the aggregate, you're gonna benefit from the diversity of thought that fosters, aside from it just being the right thing to do. It is interesting that in the case of these gifted and talented programs, it's more focused on over-indexing on this one criteria. And there's a real fight happening about this in New York. And congratulations on your promotion to the chief executive officer of the Urban Assembly. Thank you. You're coming out at a really interesting time with the mayoral election is coming. We have a new chancellor who I know has some Urban Assembly roots. Misha Ross Porter is the new chancellor of the New York City school system. I know you also recently had a visit to your schools. You represent 23 schools. Yeah, absolutely. We just had a blessing today where Mayor de Blasio came to our school to celebrate the reopening for high schools. He came to the Bronx School for mm -hmm. Law, Government, and Justice and Urban Assembly School, the first urban assembly school that actually Chancellor Ross Porter helped found um, mm -hmm. along with Reverend Jock de Graff and Richard Kahn, our founder. And so we were able to showcase the work that's happening in yeah. advisory where students were discussing our relations with the Asian American community and thinking about how we can be in better community with those given some of the struggles that they're having with violence. I think that represented our commitment to the whole child Yep. Um, and our commitment to developing schools that impact young people's development, not just uh, demanding high achieving students into a place versus an experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to get to that next, too, because I know you have a deep set of experiences around social emotional learning and the, the, the whole student. You know, I like to say I get social emotional baby. I know social emotional learning is something that's very close to your heart. And I know that there is a big day this Friday, March 26th is SEL day. And it's something that I believe was initiated at the urban assembly uh, a little while back. Can you catch us up on what SEL day is? And I know you, you schooled me last time. I'm ready for you to school me and my audience again about some of the aspects of social emotional learning as it relates to all this. But can you catch us up uh, on the history of SEL day? Absolutely. So SEL Day started last year, March 2020, when we wanted to come up with one day to showcase, promote, advocate, support for social emotional learning across the world. Last year, in the midst of the pandemic, we reached 2 million people mm -hmm. with SEL Day. We had mm -hmm. two states to create proclamations to talk about the importance of social emotional learning. We had over 500 organizations show up. 
um, and sign up to support social emotional learning this year. And before social emotional learning day has even come, we've already impacted 2.6 million people. We've had Pennsylvania declare SEL day, New Jersey, Connecticut, the House of Representatives read mm. by Representative Tim Ryan. We're having a congressional briefing on the 26th with Representative Ryan, Representative Clark. We are having a panel from the Aspen Commission talking about New York City's work around social and emotional learning. And we've had almost 2,500 organizations and individuals pledge to present work that they're doing on SEL Day. And this year, our theme is building bonds and reimagining community. Mm. So we're going to be talking about coming out of the pandemic with mm -hmm. this idea of how do we get into better relation with each other and how do we reimagine a community that incorporates all of us into what it means to be in society, to be American, to be the we and the we the people. Mm -hmm. So very excited today. Um, very excited this week that we can use these SEL skills. We can leverage our SEL competencies, things like self-awareness, understanding my knowledge of my awareness of my strengths and challenges, understanding my emotions, self-management, being able to set and achieve goals, manage my emotions, social awareness, demonstrating awareness of others and value them in the greater community, social management, my mm -hmm. communication, my conflict resolution skills. We're gonna leverage those skills and we're gonna celebrate the institutions that develop the people who leverage those skills to build community. So very excited. You can sign up on selday.org. That's mm -hmm. selday.org. And again, this is about showcasing, promoting, advocating, and supporting SEL and institutions that produce the type of people who help us build community and reimagine the kind of bonds that we have with each other. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. And thank you for that. And it does feel like one of the silver linings out of the pandemic is an increased awareness around the importance of the whole community, issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then also this community-based education, which I know is very central to the mission and the values that are espoused by the Urban Assembly. I know you've been here for years, but can you catch us up on how SEL in some ways is a foundational pillar and how the challenges of this past year have maybe elevated some of the awareness around its importance? Yeah, here at the Urban Assembly, we care about graduating students who are college career and community ready. That means that they have the cognitive skills to solve the kinds of problems that you would face in, in a college environment. They have the technical skills to participate in careers, should they choose that in graduating high school. But they're also ready to participate in community. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in community? If we think back to January 6th, we think about the insurrection on the Capitol. If we think about the murder of George Floyd, all these meetings call into question, what does it mean to be in community? And so when we talk about social and emotional skills, we're talking about the skills of active listening. Right? How do I hear and understand where you're coming from, develop windows and mirrors into your experience? Mm -hmm. Talking about this, the skills of perspective taking, how do I understand that we haven't all been covered by the social traffic equally in the United States? And how do I dedicate myself to making that happen? I'm talking about skills like communication, right? So that we can talk about our needs and wants effectively, resolve conflict constructively. What are we building? Yeah. So the work of SEL now more than ever is the work of building community. Mm -hmm. Right. This is the legacy that we will leave for our children, that, le that we will leave for those who come after us. And I know that you've recently had children. So this is something yeah. that we both really care about. Mm -hmm. right? What kind of world, what kind of society, what type of community, what type of school system mm -hmm. 
are we going to leave our children? And so if we can invest right now in our kids, in ourselves, in developing these skills and, and dedicate ourselves to the notion of community, to the notion of compromise, to the notion of building the community, then we'll be able to leave our kids something that they can leave their kids because uh, we built something for them that they can hang their hat on, that they can re reference and say, Mike Palmer did something worthwhile in his life, right? Yeah. So that's what I aspire to. And that's why I care so much about our SEL skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it definitely comes through, uh, as I mentioned, engaged with a bunch of different folks across uh, the spectrum at the Urban Assembly. And, and it is a mission-aligned, value-driven organization. I do appreciate that. And you're also not alone, which is why I like the SEL day being more global in reach, where, you know, thinking locally, but then trying to connect more globally. Just getting back to the local level, what do you see on the horizon for New York? It's a pretty wild landscape that you've been thrown into in this role. I know you, you have a, a lot of experience and wherewithal. You have a great team with you. But what do you see on the horizon? What are some of the challenges? And then what are the opportunities, let's say, in the year you know, even just between now and say the fall, and then uh, really looking at looking ahead into the fall semester. I appreciate the question, Michael. We've been meeting with mayoral candidates across the spectrum to talk about what some of the issues in public education are. We've been raising some of the concerns around making sure that we are investing in systems that actually improve education, not just reshuffle students across the, the schools that we have. And so one of the things that I think that we should be so proud of in New York City is that we reopen, reopened our schools for families who wanted to participate in them. Yeah. That is something that cannot be taken lightly. There's been a lot of challenges with Mayor de Blasio, but one challenge that he did not have uh, was leading the country and ensuring that students who wanted to be in school could be in school. We did that better than Los Angeles. We did that better than San Francisco. We did that better than Chicago. And this is something that we should be very proud of as a city. Uh, mm -hmm. Families needed kids to participate in person in school and we made that happen. So I just want to give a shout out to the Department of Education for being responsive mm -hmm. to our families and making that happen. Yeah. As federal stimulus money comes through, we see that the Biden administration has passed. That's about $6 billion for New York State. And so that's probably going to come through $3 billion this year and $3 billion next year. I've got a huge deficit in our budget that they're looking to plug. And so the question is just going to be, how do we take those funds uh, and use them to reinvest in the quality of schooling for all of our students in our system? So we're looking forward to advocating on behalf of our young people, ensuring that they have the social emotional supports that they need to come out of this pandemic, out of this isolation, back mm -hmm. into community with their peers, with their teachers, with their neighborhoods, and then the, the skills, the social emotional skills and academic skills mm -hmm. that they're going to need to stay competitive and live their potential. So I'm just, I'm excited to, to hear candidates talking about improving public education. Yeah. Right? I'm excited to hear candidates talk about systems that can put pressure on schools to improve the quality of teaching and learning. I'm a little bit more skeptical about candidates who are talking about revisiting the notion of screening or reinvesting in increasing the amount of screens in our city, which doesn't actually improve education. It just moves kids from one place to another without actually moving their outcomes. So I'd love to think about how we can get more candidates to talk about what the actual teaching learning processes are that improve kids' outcomes and invest in organizations who make that their priority. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've heard the, I think it, McKinsey came up with the term learning loss and it's out there. The flip side is you hear a lot of people talk about being asset-based when you think about education and learning loss frequently is also tied to as measured by standardized tests. I'd love to get some of your perspective on the, the concept of learning loss, whether it captures everything. Because I always feel like it's missing out on the social emotional 
piece when you talk about learning loss? Like what other trauma have kids gone through in this same window of time? And how do we address the whole student to make sure that outside of their cognitive performance and how they're keeping up with others based on their standardized tests versus actually meeting them where they are and addressing the the whole student? I'd love to get some of your perspective on this. Well, look, Mike, if any organization knows about helping students go from where they are to proficiency, it's got to be the urban assembly, right? Mm -hmm. As I said before, we regularly take students three and four and five grade levels behind in reading and make sure that they graduate ready. Mm -hmm. So we should be focusing on the types of institutions who can do that. Everybody's talking about learning loss, but our students were already behind. Mm -hmm. So what kind of institutions are going to be invested in so that our students can make the gains that they need to make in order to be successful? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be the institutions who decide you're not good enough to come to my school? You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not fast enough to be educated in our space. Or are they going to be institutions who say, wherever you come from, whoever you are, we can help you grow. So the Urban Assembly has already invested in this notion of helping students be successful. If you come to us with a fifth grade reading level, a ninth grade reading level, a 12th grade reading level, we're going to help you grow. And that is the model that we should be investing in New York City. So mm -hmm. I'm less concerned about this learning loss because we've already seen students behind in yeah. terms of their achievement, mm -hmm. right? And we need to make sure that our city is investing in the kinds of institutions who know how to move kids. Because every kid who we lose in terms of not graduating, reading at grade level is a kid who can't tr contribute what they have to society, who yeah. can't take their potential and give it to our communities. So I take that very seriously. And I think other as education institutions should take it seriously too. Mm -hmm. uh, stop worrying about who those kids are when they come into your school and start worrying about who those kids are when they leave your school. Yeah. And then what are some lessons learned? What are some of the aspects, the, the way in which the Urban Assembly is doing their program that is allowing for that growth? One is letting everybody in and serving the kids who need the help, not the kids who can meet a certain threshold. I hear you hundred percent on that. But then for the kids who need the help, are there tactics, are there parts of your program that are replicable that people need to hear more about? Sure. There's a couple of things that I think that, that distinguish our work. The first is that we ensure that students have good feedback in terms of their incoming proficiencies, right? So we give students feedback around how they're reading, what they're doing in their math, and that speaks to their social emotional competency. So I'm aware of my strengths and challenges. Students who are aware of their strengths and challenges are empowered to develop their own supports and so that they can be successful. The second thing is students need to be talking in classrooms, right? Students need to be interacting with each other in classrooms. And when students interact with each other, when they interact with the material, when they ask questions of each other, and when they ask questions of the material, they develop a sense of efficacy. I can do this. And that gives them the strength to push through some of those learning frustrations and get out of the other side, a stronger reader, a stronger thinker, more prepared to contribute their talents to society. Mm -hmm. So I think you just need to think about how we are organizing our thinking in our mm -hmm. classrooms, our speaking in our classrooms, our, our assessments and feedback mm -hmm. so that our students understand this is where you need to be, this is where you are, and our teachers are willing to help you get there. All right, we've had students, and when we're talking to mayoral candidates, students were high-performing, students who needed supports. Each one of those students said, I know that my teacher knows my strengths and challenges. My teacher can tell me where my areas of opportunities are, and they can tell me where I can develop. Our students are the same way. I, I know where my areas of, of weakness are. I know where my areas of strength are. Mm -hmm. And if we invest in these kinds of strategies, rather than just talking about pacing, and I just need to increase my pace because that is what the curriculum says, right. 
then we're going to make sure that our students are keeping up. We're going to make sure that our students are graduating college career and community ready and are ready to contribute their talents to our society. Yeah, makes sense. And then how about the career uh, readiness component too? Because that was another theme that I hear a lot about on this show is the importance of relevance. Why am I learning this? Which was always a kid in the back of the class growing up. Why do I need to learn this? Increasingly, I think we're realizing that is an important question to be answered and that frequently it's a question that was avoided. I know it's very central to the philosophy that, that you espouse at the UA. Can you talk about the importance of relevance and career alignment? Absolutely. One of the key defining features of an urban assembly schools is the partnerships that we establish with industries and other organizational partners. All of our schools have themes, the Urban Assembly School for Media Studies, Urban Assembly School for Law, Government, and Justice, the Urban Assembly School for the Performing Arts. And this does two things. One, it invests the industry into the education space, mm -hmm. right? So that we recognize that these things are not uh, separate, the, that these are intertwined. The kinds of workers that are being graduated from our schools, just like the kind of citizens that are being graduated with our schools, it matters to our society, it matters to our community. It's not somebody else's problem. So let's invest our industry into our schools with themes that allow our industry professionals to see themselves in what our schools are trying to accomplish. And that's the first thing we talk about career yeah. readiness. And the second thing is let's invest our students into these ideas of jobs that put them on career level pathways. Right. That means students are doing certifications. They are graduating our school for emergency management, just an amazing opportunity to use planning techniques that they learn from emergency management to do an amazing memorial for uh, the victims of COVID. Always learning about how to take these concepts mm -hmm. and integrate them into everyday life and making it relevant for our students. So that career readiness piece is not just about tracking kids or, or graduating them and saying you can't go to college or you can go to college. It's about showing them how skills relate to the types of careers that are gonna help them to solve the kinds of problems that we need to solve in order to move our society forward. So very proud of that career work, career pathways development. And again, it's both our industry investing in our schools and then our students recognizing the relationship between their learning and the kinds of careers that can help them solve problems. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I know it's still your first month as CEO and, and again, congratulations. But, uh, but now we gotta start asking the vision question I know it's a crazy time to be thinking about further out in the future, but any thoughts about pandemic hopefully starts to settle down. We're starting to come back to in-person learning. Hopefully the vaccine works and everyone's starting to get back to some kind of new normal. What do you see a little bit further out on the horizon as we head into the 2020s a little bit more? Any big picture ideas, any perspective, any trends for us to keep an eye on? Absolutely, Michael, come prepared. So the first thing is what we've seen in the pandemic is students can learn in a lot of different contexts and through a lot of different experiences. So one of the things that we're really interested in thinking about is how do we look at that seat time requirement, that requirement that you need to be in the school for this amount of time in order to get credit and expand that a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Going back to our career readiness, how do internships help students learn and solve problems? Mm -hmm. How do we flexibly organize our school so that students can engage in more relevant learning experiences to teach them how to solve the kinds of problems that we need to solve in order to move our society forward. Look, if January 6th taught us anything, it's that having a narrow version of what it means to be educated, focusing on just what people know, is not going to do it to maintain our democracy. It's not going to do it to reinvigorate our society. We need to invest in our whole child. We need to invest in what our kids know, 
what they do and who they are. And so I'm just very interested in thinking about how that seat time requirement can be flexible so our students can be learning in a lot of different contexts and also developing the types of social emotional skills, as we talked about before, and let them collaborate, solve problems, negotiate conflict, and contribute to community. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. My last question, I think, and then we'll go into the freestyle phase of the conversation. What about the role of parents? Like it's been in many ways, it was like the year of the parent as far mm-hmm. as understanding and engaging in education, whether they were ready to or not. And I know some kids have problems in their homes and were confronted with new challenges when online learning surfaced. I know you represent a wide cross-section of kids who have come from a lot of different homes. And I know you're a parent yourself. How are you thinking about the role of the parent and the family in the educational pathways of the the students that you serve? I appreciate the question, Michael. I'd say if we didn't realize before that education is part of an ecosystem that allows our communities to function, we got to recognize that now. And parents also belong in that ecosystem. We have decided as a society that we are going to organize ourselves in ways that contribute to the collective good through things like public service and public servants. And we need to start thinking about now that we've seen the role that parents have played to really ground the educational processes of our young people, that this is a relationship that needs to be honored, right? That our parents need to be invited to contribute to this educational process. And I'll tell you another thing, the data looking at our our challenges in terms of passing grades have taught us a lot Right. If you look at students who are doing well in the context of remote learning as the students who were generally doing well uh, before, these were two-parent households with relatively high parental income or parental education level by any chance, right? Uh, the students who are struggling right now are special education students, ELL students, and students from low-income backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell us? Those are the students who are most sensitive to the quality of teaching and learning. Mm. The students who are coming from the most challenged backgrounds are most sensitive to the quality of teaching and learning, Mm -hmm. right? So that means those are the places we need to invest in our students who are coming from our ELL homes, our students who need special education services, students who are coming from challenging backgrounds in their house, Mm -hmm. who are most responsive to the quality of teaching and learning. So if we want to improve public education, that's where we need to start. We need to invite our parents in to be partners, to honor what they bring to the table, even if we disagree with their approaches, because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. So now you you show me the vision, you you show me the SEL. Now you got to bring it all to conclusion now. So we want to wrap it up, reinforce the learning or the insights and maybe give us something to to walk away with. The platform is yours. Uh, Why don't you bring it home? Um, and Mike, I always appreciate being on your show. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity to be in relationship and community with you, man. I'm happy to hear your kids are doing well as you're thinking about uh, what their future is in New York City. So all I can say is that the future of New York City is going to be the future of our public school. And as I have conversations with folks and they ask me, David, what about my kids? I, I can tell you that if we invest in the quality of teaching and learning, if we invest in social emotional development, if we invest in learning environments that support young people to be successful, then our schools will be strong and our city will be strong. And I'm here with the message of that's where we need to put our money. That's where we need to put our energy. That's where we need to put our ideas, our innovation. We can do great things. We can get better. Here at the Urban Assembly, we've doubled our math proficiency rating in the last six years. We can get better. Mm -hmm. We got to put our energies in the right place to do. So I think about a lot of times over in California, not that there's anything wrong with California, but they got a problem with homelessness. 
-hmm. and, and they refuse to build housing because everybody says, not in my backyard. And so everybody comes up with excuses for not no more housing, but they're not actually solving the problem of homelessness. The fact right. that you got to build more housing. And I just worry that if we continue in New York City to invest in things that don't solve problems, mm -hmm. then we're just going to be sitting around looking at all these folks on the street and saying, at least it's not my backyard, at least it's not my kid, rather than how do we solve this for all kids. And I think the Urban Assembly helps show us a path where we are investing in the kinds of solutions that help all kids learn. So that would be my takeaway message. I think uh, we got to move from our kid to all kids. That's the promise of public education. And that's the promise I hold in my heart. Yeah. David Adams, the, the newly anointed CEO of the Urban Assembly, also a really uh, sharp mind who's thinking about social emotional learning for quite some time. So I'd say, don't just uh, look at his recent work, look at his entire track record. David, very much appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. It's been a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me back. It's great to have you. And for our listeners, hopefully you got something out of this. Be on the lookout for more conversations about social emotional learning and the, the broader world around us. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.